Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you know that God loves you? Scripture teaches that faith is to know and to love God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. To know that triune God loves me as unworthy as I am. And that his love changes everything. It changes my heart. It changes my life. It changes my eternal destiny. But how do I know this is true for me? Where does this certainty of the love of God for me in Christ come from? Well, in the first place, we're certain that his love is for us. Because he says it is. He tells us that he loves us. Every time we read the scripture, he's speaking words of love. Every time we hear the word of God proclaimed, God speaks to us from heaven with words of tender love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's so simple. And all it needs is a childlike faith to accept. God says it, and so it is true. Because when God speaks, things happen. He calls into existence that which does not exist by the power of the word. For he spoke, says the psalmist, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So if he says, I love you, it is truth, because he spoke it. If you have your Bible Handy, look for, for, at, with me for one moment at 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and see the power of God's word as it comes to us in the preaching specifically. 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 to 25. Of course, we're dead in our sins and trespasses, but, but when, when, the, when, when the Holy Spirit comes to us through the preached word, then we have been born again, says the gospel, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the apostle says, listen, you have new life. You were dead in your sins. You're alive. You have a new life. You've been born again. And what gave you that new life? It was the power of God through the preached word of God. God declares his love, and that love transforms us. It makes us alive. It changes us. It changes our hearts. It regenerates us. It turns our hearts of stone that hate God and love sin into hearts of flesh that hate sin and love God. Hearts that are able to believe. If you turn with me in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, which is often a, a go-to in the catechism classes. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 4 in the next few verses. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That's what God's love does. It turns dead people into living children of God. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so we have those two sides of the coin in salvation. We have regeneration where God makes dead sinners alive. And the other side is, is faith. Faith and regeneration go together. The new life and the the desire to trust in God and to receive his promises and to believe in him comes together with regeneration, with the newness, with the new birth. So how do I know God loves me? Because God speaks that truth into my life and into my heart, and as he speaks that truth and the power of the Spirit, something changes inside of me. And I am made alive. And my heart is filled, says Romans 5, verse 5, my heart is filled with the love of God, which he pours out from heaven into me. It totally changes me. And that is the main, that is the principal means of grace, that God speaks with the power of his word, that word which has the power to call an entire universe into existence, calls from the darkness into the light, his children. God says, I love you. Every time you read the scripture, every time you hear it preached, God says, I love you. His love brings life out of death. And that's why, brothers and sisters, if we want our children to know God, if we want our children to have new hearts, the best thing we can do is besides the careful instruction and prayer and teaching at home and at the school, is to bring them into the workshop of the Holy Spirit and have them in public worship so that the power of the preached word, the Holy Spirit, would also work in their little hearts, faith and repentance. It's the, the main way that God works in us and teaches us of his love. But how do we know? How do we know God really loves us. Well, he says it, and that should be enough. But God knows that we are human. He knows our frame, that we are only dust. And so God stoops down to help us in our weakness and unbelief. He gives us signs that we can see because we're human beings. We're material beings. We, we like to see things and touch things, and, and we like to things to be tangible and so God gives us signs that are tangible. He testifies to the truth of the word by the visible, tangible sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are visible signs of invisible grace. And we spoke last time, last Sunday, about the Lord's Supper being like a wedding banquet and, and Christ's loving embrace of his bride. And baptism then would be like a ring of promise, a, a wedding ring. It's a, it's a circle which represents never-ending love. It is a symbol of constant love and faithfulness. And the wedding ring, the, the ring of promise says, I belong. I belong to my beloved and he belongs to me. And everyone can see it. If, you're, if your fiancé, your husband is traveling far away, how can you show someone that you belong, that you're, you're, in, that you're in a relationship? You just have to show your ring. It means you're committed. Your ring says it all. And when you're missing your loved one, 
and you're hopeful that they'll soon return home, you can just look at your ring. You can just look at it and say, yes, there is someone who loves me and has committed to be with me always. That's what baptism is like, brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a stunning sign, really, that God would give us a token of his unbreakable, constant love and faithfulness towards us. That, that's hard to process that he would do that. Who, who are we? Who are we to be called the bride of Christ? We read Hosea chapter 2, and if you read through Hosea, there's this terrible dynamic of this unfaithful wife of Hosea keeps on committing unfaithfulness. And he keeps going after her to bring her back. And this very, very hard-to-read story is about us. It's about the church. It's about who we are. It's about what we're like as church and as individual members of the church, that God is constantly having to pull us back from our wayward ways. We are so often unfaithful. He remains faithful. By nature, we're sinners and idolaters. By nature, we call sin our master, our Baal. By nature, we call the idols Lord. But God comes after us. And so many times, over and over again, as he did in the book of Hosea, he he calls his beloved back to himself and he redeems her. And despite our sins and despite our unworthiness, we were called not my people. We were called no mercy. But because of God's grace in Jesus Christ, he, called, he says, there is mercy and you are my people. That's the promise of the gospel and that is sealed to us in the sign and the seal of baptism. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? When you get married, you have everything in common. You share a bed and a bank account. You are one flesh. You're not two individuals with two careers and two sets of priorities under one roof. You're not roommates. You are one flesh. And that is a picture of the holy marriage between Christ and the church. The bride enters the relationship loaded down with debt, an unspeakable debt, a shameful debt. The bride comes into this relationship as poor and filthy and in rags and massively indebted, and the bridegroom, our Lord, wipes it all out, takes it all on, washes it all away, erases it so that there is nothing that is owed, nothing that is owed. Because we are his, and he is ours. We are one with him, and so in his indescribable wealth, he has canceled our debt. He's paid our debt. When you look at your wedding ring, brothers and sisters, and you can't see it, of course, it's an invisible sign. Once it's, it's visible when it's given, but then after that we have to remember. But it's right here on our foreheads when we look at that sign that we belong to him. That sign of baptism is saying to each one of us every day, it's not just when we're a baby, but every day that sign is saying to us, you don't owe anything. You don't owe God anything. Nothing. There's nothing outstanding. There's no debt outstanding. There's no payment outstanding. At any moment, believer, 
at any moment in Christ, you can appear before the judgment seat of God with a clean conscience. That's exactly what Peter says to us. If you turn in your, in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, 1 Peter 3, 21, and the scripture speaking about baptism says this, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism tells us that we don't owe God anything. That we have a clean record. That he has remembered our sins and our misdeeds no more. That he has separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. That he has taken our sins and thrown them into the depth of the ocean where they cannot be retrieved from. Brothers and sisters, we need to hold on to the power and the glory of the gospel in our baptism that we have a clean conscience before God. The believer does not need to live weighed down by guilt and feeling I'm not good enough and there are so many things that I don't know what to say to God because I've done this wrong and I, and I haven't accomplished that. No, baptism says you have a good conscience because Jesus has washed away all your sin. His death, and resurrection guarantee it. These are historical facts that have changed the course of history and changed the course of your life. He died. And when he died, you died with him to sin. And he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised, you were raised with him to a new life with Christ. And brothers and sisters, you can only leave the grave if you have no sin. The wages of sin is death. Anybody that has any kind of sin that hasn't been dealt with must remain dead. But Christ just stood up on resurrection morning. All those sins of ours that were piled on him, they were dealt with, they were gone. And him coming out of the grave is a, a clear signal to the entire universe and to us that our sins have been paid. And so when you're being attacked by the enemy of your soul and the devil's kind of rub in your face all of your sins and, and weaknesses. Look to your baptism. Brothers and sisters, don't let your baptism be something in the past that you rarely think about. Let it be something that we hold on to every day, just as we carry a wedding ring every day and remind ourselves of what it means. Look to your baptism. You owe nothing. The debt has been paid. Now, we know this. We ought to know it better, but we know this. But there's a lot more, and, and we, don't, we don't go far enough in God's grace so often because we're not just washed with the blood of Christ for forgiveness. That's, that's glorious. But there's more. We are washed with the Spirit of Christ for new life and holiness. We are washed with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of love, with the Spirit of life, the Spirit of holiness washing over us in torrents and filling us and overflowing from us and carrying us along in a mighty rush. Baptism speaks about the washing away of sin, but it also speaks about 
being anointed by the outpouring flood of the Spirit of God. When God himself fills you, that's going to change your life. And it does. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 with me for a moment. 1 Corinthians 6 9. You know, when we don't know Christ and we, when we have not known the power of the gospel, which baptism points to, then sin defines us. And we'll go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Sin is our identity outside of Christ. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When you're outside of Christ, sin is who you are. It defines you. But when you are in Christ, everything changes, verse 11, and such were some of you. But when you were in Christ, that's in the past. Things have changed. You are in Christ. You were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Our sin used to define us, now Christ defines us. We're not just washed, but we're sanctified. It's not just that the filth is removed, but holiness is added And when we get a picture of that in Ezekiel chapter 16, we've looked at that a number of times. We'll go there again, Ezekiel 16. I'll be reading a few of the verses there. We get a picture of that in Ezekiel 16, that we're not just cleaned off, which is glorious enough. We're not just cleaned off from our sins and our shame and our filth, but we're covered in the royal glory of God's righteousness and holiness as the bride of the great king. You you remember I've read a number of times over the last while from the beginning of this chapter about our filthiness in our natural state of sin. But I want to start reading from verse 8 and and see what, when when the filth is washed away, what God adds to his bride. When I pass by you again, And saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water. I washed off your blood from you, anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect. Through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. That's what happens when God washes his bride from all her sin and shame. And he covers her with the glory of his holiness. She is royal. She is beautiful. She is holy. She is perfectly righteous. She is clothed in royal robes. She's clothed in the clean robes of Christ's perfect righteousness and holiness. That's who the church is. 
and the power of the blood and the Spirit of Christ. And that's what baptism is driving home to us, brothers and sisters. In Ephesians 5.25, the apostle writes this, if Christ, uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I hope you get the point that I'm trying to drive home here, brothers and sisters. The gospel's about a lot more than the fact that, hey, I've done something wrong and I owe God something, and now Jesus washed that sin away. That's just half of it. The other half is that instead of the sin, he puts holiness and glory. And he makes us, brothers and sisters, he makes us as perfectly holy and acceptable in his sight as his very own eternal son is. Now, this is hard to believe. How can God look at us, a whole bunch of broken sinners, and we looked at that this morning, how can he look at us and say, I I love you as I love Christ. I see you as I see Christ. How can it be? Well, brothers and sisters, it can be because God says it. He says it every Sunday. He says it every time you read the scriptures. He says, I love you. I love you. You are washed. You are clean, you are perfect, you are beautiful, you are holy, you are welcome, you are acceptable, you belong. As I know and love Christ, I know and love you. You are mine and I am yours. This is a true forever love. That's the gospel. God says it, and he shows it. Look at the sacrament of baptism. Not just something that happened to you when you were a little baby. You carry it with you every moment of your life, every place you go. You carry the sign, the sign of God's love, that God means what he says. It's true. He promises it, and he never lies. He keeps his word. And so, brother and sister, embrace God's promises to you in the gospel, sealed to you in your baptism. It is guaranteed by the word and by the sign that God gives to accompany his word. Rejoice in that gospel and live your life according to that truth. Amen.